So I don't know how many of you have ever um, had a birthday or an anniversary or Christmas where um, you were incredibly disappointed with the gifts that you received. It just didn't quite turn out the way you had hoped. Uh, maybe the quantity was not there or the quality was not there, but there was some disappointment in the, the gifts that you received. Um, Laura and I were reflecting last night on times where this has happened to us way too often. Um, she asked me not to share her disappointments with my gifts, but we are two very different people with very different expectations of gifts. So for birthdays, we always get in trouble with each other. So, so I would like to have just a nice, quiet dinner, just the two of us. She wants to have a big surprise party with everybody there. And so I usually plan a nice, quiet dinner for her birthday, and she's very disappointed. And then she plans this big surprise party. I'm like, yay, thanks. And this is how we just haven't figured this out. After all these years of birthdays, we're still messing up on one another's gifts. But um, there was a few years ago, Jimmy Fallon did this bit about um, kids who receive really bad, birth, uh, really bad Christmas gifts. And so he, he set parents out with a video camera to give their kids a really bad gift gift. Now, there's all kinds of layers of parenting issues going on here, but they give the kids a bad gift and record. Here's a few of the results. What's your gift, Charlie? I don't like this. Oh. What is it? An old banana. An old banana? Isn't that exciting? I got a girl activity book with stickers. I'm not a girl. Me, I'm not a boy. I'm not a boy either. <laughs> Marissa, what do you tell me all the time about my cooking? I love it. You love my cooking, so I made you something. So you don't want that peanut butter and jelly sandwich? I'll eat it! I'll eat it! What did you get, Jason? Some black beans, cheese, and a Waffle House hat. What's in there? A bag of... Oh, you got a Mr. Potato Head! They're from Santa. They're not. Did Santa I... did not have those things. You... I saw you in the car in the garage. Those things were not from Santa Claus! Great grandpa's candy. I got ponies! What's nice? What's wrong? You're not excited about your presents? I got ponies. I don't want ponies. They're, girl, they're for girls. We thought really hard about what to get you this year. Well, you didn't do a very good 
Worst Christmas ever. It's like you open up something, you see this box, you see this package, and you're ready to open up into it, and there's this great anticipation of what's inside, and it's a rotten banana or something else. We run into situations like this where we, we face disappointment, right? This is, this is a fun look at it. This, this lightens the mood for something that is really going to be a really tough topic for us to talk about. Because we're talking about disappointments. This idea that, that things don't go the way that they were planned. That we have this great anticipation, this, this great desire for something. We have this story that we've written out and, and things do not go the way that we hoped. It would not be the way that we would have wanted to write it. We open the present and it looks like it's the right size and it looks like it's the right shape, but it's nothing that we wanted. We spend all of our time in college and finally graduate and get to the end of that and, and the job that we planned for was not there. We get into a career and, and get years into it and realize it is just not the thing for me. That things are not going the way I had hoped. Our, our bank account is not looking the way I had hoped it would look after years of saving. The relationships in our lives are broken and dysfunctional and, and not going the way that we had hoped they would. Our marriages are, are just pieced together and barely holding on. That's not the way we had written that story. We have kids that we have raised who are not, they're not where we want them to be. We have to face these disappointments. And so this morning is not a funny topic. And so we start with something lighthearted. Because now we have to get into the meat of the story. Because the reality of life is it's not just a funny commercial that's edited together for the best pieces. Life throws things at us that we had not planned for, things that we had not anticipated. And so we find ourselves in chapter 9 of the story, the story of Ruth. And so we look at this story of Ruth, and, and hopefully you have had a chance to read through it. And as you read through the story of Ruth, it is a, it's a story of joy and excitement, a story of disappointments and frustration. And if you read through Ruth, you really start to think, okay, why is this even in the Bible? There's no great leader here. There's no great miracles or acts of God. We don't have any great Moses stories with burning bushes or parting of the Red Sea. It's a story that takes place in the time of Judges, but there are no judges in the story. God is not explicitly speaking through this, and so why is Ruth even here? It's the story of a man and a woman who meet each other, and they get married, and things are going along as planned. They have two sons. Two sons are a great blessing to have. And so they go through life with these two sons, but things begin to change. And at the start of the book of Ruth, we see that the people are in a major famine. 
And so now we have a husband, we have a wife with these, these two boys, and they're faced with this decision to make. Do we stay at our home and starve? Or do we move somewhere else? Do we go somewhere else? Can you imagine being in a situation like that, where, where a husband comes home and something is obviously wrong, things are not going well, and as the evening progresses, you get to a point where you realize that a conversation has to happen. And the husband says, I've, I've lost my job. I don't know what we're going to do next. And so they, they live through their reserves and they continue to look for work and, and they deplete that and they have to leave their house and move into a smaller apartment. And they get to a point where, where the husband has to come in and say, I don't know where our next meal is going to come from. We can't stay here any longer. And so they pack up their boys and they move on and they, they go somewhere else. And they go to a place called Moab. And if you remember from the book of Judges, the, the Moabites are great enemies of the Israelites. And so here they are deciding to leave the promised land, the thing that they had been anticipating for generations, the thing that was a part of their identity. They're having to leave the promised land and go to a place of the enemy. They're having to leave and go to the Moabites. And so they pack up and go. And Naomi is, is going here and she says, well, at least I've got my husband. At least I've got my two boys. I can survive this if I've at least got that. But that's not how the story progresses. And it's not much longer that they, that they face an incredible loss. And Naomi's husband dies. And so now she is a single mom, a widow, trying to raise two boys in a foreign land. And the, the boys grow up and they fall in love with some local women. And so we have two weddings, but, but the boys are marrying Moabite women. These are, these are women of the enemy. And so the sons marry, and so things seem to be getting better. The family is growing. The boys are, are matched with wives. But just as soon as there are two weddings, we end up with two funerals. And the two sons now are dead. And so one after another Naomi is left as a widow, left without her sons, no grandkids, no one to carry on this name. What incredible grief she must be going through as she is in this foreign land. Some of you have known loss and disappointment. You've known grief. You've known situations like this. It could be with relationships, it could be with, with family members, it could be with the job or, or money or any, any number of different things, but you have experienced this, this disappointment where the story did not play out the way that you would have written it. And so now here Naomi has this disproportionate amount of loss dealt to her. And she's having to work through this. She has nothing She's in a foreign land by herself. She has no name. She has no heirs. She has no one to take care of her. Millie Renner is a, a widow at a church in Kentucky. 
and she is someone who has faced incredible loss. And the church put together a, a video testimony of, of her story. And I want us to watch that for just a couple minutes here. My name is Millie Renner, and I write poetry. After 51 years of marriage, I lost my dear husband to cancer. And a few years later, I was given the gift of love again. And my fiance and I were planning a wedding in late spring of last year when uh, in early April he suddenly died. I just feel like it's kind of a little ministry that God has given to me to uh, not only help me through my grief, but to help other people through theirs. And sometimes just knowing that someone understands and that you're not alone in it can be a help. Do you see that pile of wood chips on the floor? That's what is left of the life I had before, when I was loved by you with all your heart, when passion awoke and played its part. Our oneness and purpose, agreement and thought is something that could not be bartered or bought. It seemed to be perfect to have heaven's blessing. Each word, gaze and touch was a form of caressing. I never had known such love before. Now all that remains is that pile on the floor. It looks to others like I'm doing all right. They don't see the wood chip of crying at night. My family and friends think I'm doing okay. The wood chip is hidden of my struggle each day. So many chips in that pile on the floor. Emptiness, loneliness, disappointment, and more. Dreams unfulfilled, plans hung in mid-air. Love uncompleted beckons imagining so rare. My life has been broken, nothing fits anymore. There's this big pile of wood chips in the middle of my floor. There's this pile of, of wood chips. Things, stories, relationships that have not gone the way I had hoped not gone the way that I had planned. And this is how Naomi feels. She is left with this pile on the floor, and there's nothing left to do but to go back home. And so she packs up what little she ha has and, and heads back home. And she has these two daughters-in-law who are now widows themselves, Ruth and Orpah, and she tells them to stay. You have some hope of a life here. Stay here with your family. Stay here and remarry. Create a new life for yourself. And, and Orpah decides to go, and she, she stays there while, while Naomi leaves. But, but Ruth insists that she is going to go. In Ruth chapter 1, verse 16 through 18, But Ruth replied, Don't urge me to leave. Don't urge me to leave you. Or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. 
May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you from me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And so we've got Ruth who is saying, I'm going to go where you go. I'm going to go and be with you. You've probably heard this passage before, but you've heard it in the context of a wedding ceremony where the two are becoming one. And so if we really want to be biblically accurate this way, we need to have the bride turn to the mother-in-law in the wedding service and say, where you go, I will go. I don't think that's going to catch on. But we can try. But here, here is this woman, Ruth, who is a widow herself, who comes to Naomi and says, I am going to be with you. Death will not even separate us. I am with you. Now, this is such a huge sacrifice for Ruth because she's giving up being with her people, the Moabites, and she's leaving her people to go with Naomi so that she will become the foreigner. She is going to be the immigrant going into a new land. And over and over we see in the story, Ruth is called Ruth the Moabite. The author does not let us forget this is a foreign woman. She is a Moabite. She is somebody who is going to be different. And so they head off to their hometown because Ruth is not going to change her mind. And Ruth goes on with her and they get to Naomi's hometown which is Bethlehem. And so now we start to see a little bit of a picture of why this story might be important. They're headed to the hometown of Bethlehem, this sleepy little town of 200. And so when Naomi shows up, everybody knows. This is big news. Naomi is back. Naomi is back. Is that really Naomi? She seems so different. She's not like she was when she left. Something is broken. Something has changed. And Naomi says, don't call me that anymore. She says, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means delight and pleasance. And so Naomi, do not call me that. Do not call me someone who is happy. Do not call me someone who is pleasant and delightful. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Naomi's upset. She's angry at God. She's bitter at God because the story has not played out the way she had planned. Things have not gone the way she had hoped. And so Naomi is upset. Naomi is angry with God. She has reached a point and, and is, is critical of God for not upholding his part of the promises. And so what is this story really about? We've got this story of incredible loss. But is the story about loss? Is this story about disappointments? Is it a story about a woman who loses everything? Does the story have to be about loss? The story could be about a response to loss. How is loss going to define me? How can this story of loss be redeemed? 
This story can go beyond something that we see in the lower story of our everyday lives, and it can go somewhere else. If there is one word that can describe this story, it is not loss. It is not disappointments. This is a story of redemption. This is a story of redemption. Once in Bethlehem, there's only one thing that Ruth can do as, as a widowed young lady. She has to go into the field and, and, and pick the wheat behind the workers in front of her. So she's getting the leftovers and taking that and, and trying to provide for herself and trying to provide for her widowed mother-in-law. And then we see this in Ruth chapter 2, verse 3. So she went out, she entered a field, and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in the field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Boaz is a relative. And this is the field that she finds herself in. She finds herself in Boaz's field. Now, Boaz is the daughter of Rahab. Do you remember Rahab? Rahab is the prostitute who protected and hid the, the, the spies going into Jericho. And so we've got a situation here where Boaz is doing pretty well, the, the, the son of Rahab, a family member of Naomi. And Ruth finds herself working in this field. The narrative starts to get a little weird here. Um, because we have some cultural differences. This obligation of, of family members taking over the estates of widows and orphans, the, the family members who are supposed to be taking care of each other. And so I'm just going to read through some of this narrative, and we have to kind of get ourselves past the weird cultural side of it into what's really going on here. It's the story of redemption. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer. The guardian redeemer is the person in the family who is supposed to take responsibility for Naomi and her family. They say to this guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech, Naomi's husband. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of those seated. So he's gathering these witnesses, the elders of the community, gathering the witnesses and saying, this is your obligation. Are you going to take it or not? If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I know. For no one has the right to do it except you. This is your right. You have first choice. And so this guardian redeemer says, I will redeem it. And so Bo Boaz says, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you will also require Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer steps back and says, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite as my wife in order to maintain the, dead, the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his people and from his hometown. Today you are my witnesses. Then the elders and all the people of the gate said, 
we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrath and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring of the Lord through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he made love to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Boaz has become the guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And now things come into focus. Boaz is the guardian redeemer, the one who is coming in and claiming Ruth and taking Ruth and providing for Ruth. And now we know why this story is here. Because this is the family story of King David. Ruth has a son who has a son who is the greatest king of the entire Old Testament. This is a royal story. And this guardian redeemer goes out of his way to do something that he was not obligated to do, something that he was not bound to do. And now, the story of disappointment, the story of emptiness, the story of brokenness is being used for incredible purposes. The story is being rewritten. It's being redeemed. Naomi thinks that she's coming back empty to this place. But, and she's coming thinking that God has abandoned her. But if she can view things from God's big story, from this upper story, if she can see what God is doing, she can see how God is at work at redeeming this situation. That now, through this family, God is blessing the nations through David. There's, there's three things here that we can, we can look at as, as things that God is working to redeem. First, God redeems the story with an unlikely friendship. Naomi has this great friendship in Ruth. Ruth makes this commitment to her that she did not have to make. And so God is rewriting this story. He's redeeming the story through this friendship, through this this relationship with Ruth. Now, when people are dealing with grief, oftentimes they tend to push people away. In that hurt, they don't know how to respond, they don't know how to act, and so they push people who are close to them away. But they need a good friend in their time of loss. They need a good friend in that time of grief. Larry Barber is a, a grief counselor who was a member at our, our church in Dallas who had an entire ministry built around helping people deal with grief. 
It was something that he knew firsthand. He had a car accident with his wife and two ch- or three children. Two of the children survived the accident. The wife and the two-year-old daughter did not. And so he had to journey life in this state of grief, not only dealing with his loss of a wife and a loss of a child, but also raising up two children through that grief. And in, in the midst of that, in, in the process of his own healing, that became a ministry to others where he could share that grief and share in other people's grief and, and now be able to minister to people through this grief recovery ministry. But he talks about the importance of being a good friend. And so for us who have friends that are going through grief, we need to be good friends. They need to be able to receive it, but we need to be good friends. And oftentimes we are in a a situation where we have a friend that's grieving and we just don't know what to do. And oftentimes that can come to inaction because we don't know how to deal with the awkwardness of it. We don't know how to deal with the hurt of it. But here's a few things that Larry says are great that he wished the friends around him would have done. He He says to his friend, simply be there for me. Just your presence and availability is what he really needs. Second, he says, just listen to me. Just listen. Be ears to hear. You don't need to say anything. Just listen. They need to feel that love by someone who will just hear them out. Third, don't try to fix me or solve my struggles. You're not going to say anything or do anything that's going to fix this. The reality is there, and you're not going to fix it. So don't try to fix it. You can't. Nothing you can say or do will solve any of this. Fourth, let me know that you've heard me. Acknowledge this. Reflect back to me what you hear. I simply want to be heard and understood. Let me know I'm safe to share whatever I need to share with you. Keep what I share between us. Remember that when I show my true self and grief emotions openly and freely, I'm saying that you make me feel safe to do so. And when you do speak, let me know how much you care. So that that is a message from a griever to his friends. To say, this is what I hope for. This is what I look for in a friend. So we see in the story of Ruth and Naomi God redeeming the story through this unlikely friendship. This daughter-in-law who should have gone her separate way but insisted on staying. The second thing God does is he redeems the story with an undeserved kindness. An undeserved kindness. Ruth is a foreign woman, a widow, who is really just a beggar in the fields. And Boaz comes in and gives this great act of kindness. He goes out of his way to to give her more than than her fair share. He goes out of his way to protect her. If you read through the entire story, you see each of these points where Boaz is going out of his way to bring kindness to Ruth. And it is no small act of kindness. It is no small sacrifice that Boaz does to go out of his way to become the guardian redeemer of Ruth the Moabite. He goes out of his way there. 
God redeems the story with an unpredictable ending. We get to the end of this story, and it ends in a pretty incredible way. It just, it's not this, they got married and lived happily ever after end of a story. The end of this story is they have a son, and that's nice. They have a son, it's Obed, but Obed has a son, and that son's name is Jesse. And now we start to hear familiar names, because Jesse's son is David. And so we see this, this plot twist where the story changes and the story we realize what is going on here, that, that God is changing things through this family. God is providing for his people leadership. God is providing for his people David. And then, of course, we know that there is someone much further down in that lineage from David who comes in as a guardian redeemer for us. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, son of David. And so is Ruth an important story? Absolutely. This is Jesus' family. This is his genealogy spread out for us to see. Jesus, a son of David, a son of Ruth the Moabites, a son of Rahab, the prostitutes. And this is the Jesus who comes in as our guardian redeemer. God is taking all of those broken pieces, those broken wood chips that are on the floor. He's taking those and he's picking those up and he's piecing those together into beautiful artwork. We look at the story of Ruth and we don't see these big overt acts of God or these miracles or burning bushes or parting seas. We don't see that stuff in the book of Ruth. But we get to the end of the story and we see God is at work here. God is doing something powerful through the life of Ruth. He is doing something to redeem the brokenness. He's doing something to pull together those broken pieces, the disappointment, the disillusionment, the discouragement. He's piecing that back together and he is redeeming that. Your story does not have to be about loss. Your story does not have to be about brokenness. Your story does not have to be about disappointment. Your story does not have to be about regret. It does not have to be about mistakes. Your story can be about redemption. Because we have someone coming in to redeem us. We have this guardian redeemer this Redeemer from Bethlehem, who paid a price on a cross so that he could buy us and redeem us and rewrite our story. Have you ever asked God to use the chapters of your life, the good ones, the bad ones, use the chapters of your life to tell his story? Let's be standing. We see these upper and lower stories. We see the lower story of Naomi's life. This is the lower story of Naomi's loss. But we see the upper story of God at work. And this is why we're going through the story. This is why we go through these, these stories. Because there is so much more going on here than, than what we could ever imagine. 
that when we get hung up on this year, when we get hung up on this decade, when we get hung up on this life and the things that we've experienced and the things that we have lost, we lose sight of the big picture that God has for us. We lose sight of the story that he is writing for us. That doesn't make today any easier. It doesn't make that go away. It doesn't make the loss go away. It doesn't make the grief go away. But we can take some comfort knowing that God is writing a story so much bigger than we can even imagine. Did Ruth have any idea who her son would be? Did Ruth have any idea the impact that her family would have on the entire world? We're going to spend some time in prayer. And this is a time where you can come and pray with shepherds in the front or the back. It's a time that you can pray with one another. It's a time that there, you, can just, you can just stand there and, and soak in the song that's being sung. It's a time that you can sing along and, and worship together. But respond in some way. Because God is speaking to you. Listen to what he has to say. And be obedient to what he's calling you to. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for, we thank you for stories. God, what a challenging story to get through, to look at Naomi and all the hurt and, and all the heartache that she experienced. God, I pray that you help us to see, see the story that you're writing, that you can redeem the worst of things. You can make things new, bring life to a story that seems to be about death. God, we give this prayer time to you now as we respond in, in prayer and song. In Jesus' name, amen.